Welcome to the Scotland's Choice podcast. Join us on the journey as we discuss the choices for the Scottish public as we prepare for the referendum. We'll talk about what we do differently to Westminster already with the limited powers we do have and what we could and would do differently with the full powers of independence. Why? Well, we want everyone to be informed, involved and hopefully inspired to look at the possibilities for Scotland. Because... As our country renews, we need to choose our own future before somebody else chooses it for us. I'm your host, Drew Hendry, and I'm also an MP at Westminster. In this episode, I'm talking to Stuart C. Macdonald, MP, about the very different choices taken by Scotland and Westminster on immigration and home affairs. Stuart has represented Cumbernauld, Kilsyth and Kirkintilloch East since 2015. Former Kilsyth Academy pupil, he graduated university with a bachelor's degree in law and more. He's also worked for NHS Scotland as a lawyer and has been a human rights solicitor for the Immigration Advisory Service. And just before his election in 2015, he was Parliamentary and Public Affairs Officer for the charity The Coalition for Racial Equality and Rights. This piano-playing MP won a gold medal for running at the 2012 Euro Games in Budapest and still runs marathons. But his biggest hobby is football and following his team, Dundee United. Stuart, at Westminster, you cover all of the Home Office issues, which uh, includes things such as uh, immigration. You're shadowing Home Secretary Pretty Patel. That keeps you very busy, doesn't it? Uh, absolutely. It's it's uh, quite a challenge, an enjoyable challenge, though. Um, obviously, I was previously covering asylum and immigration issues, which I thought was uh, a big enough role in itself. But after that, you've now got to, to add in uh, everything in relation to security and uh, police and, and uh, criminal justice and so on as well. So um, it keeps me busy, but uh, it's challenging and enjoyable. And I'm speaking to you just as a new session of Parliament has started. It starts with the Queen's speech, which is not just one speech. It goes on for days and even a couple of weeks. And you were uh, speaking in a debate on the, the the subject of the Home Office. I just want to play a little clip, very short clip of uh, your speech. But I think it gives us an I- idea of the range of subjects that you're covering. Much of what is proposed in the Queen's speech is more about protecting this government and its ministers rather than protecting the public It includes rolling back on the power of our courts to halt unlawful government action, a clampdown on protest, ripping up the Refugee Convention, and now measures tantamount to voter suppression. That's quite a list of uh, things that you covered there in the the uh, the speech just and that's just the opening clip it was a, a great speech if people want to go and find it i think i'd recommend that they they do because I, I thought it was very good indeed but some really serious issues there for people and for uh, the future aren't there uh, absolutely uh, and it, it's really just trying to tie together all the different bits of legislation that they're bringing forward because if you deal with them one by one you know you think pretty awful, pretty draconian Tory policy. But it's when you sort of put together all the pieces of the jigsaw, you realise that the whole picture is actually very grim indeed. It's, uh, as I say, about protecting ministers and entrenching government power, uh, clamping down on on protests, clamping down on the court's ability to to hold the government account. Uh, So really, you know, a disaster from uh, the perspective of constitutionalism and civil liberties and, and human rights, uh, so worrying times indeed. Well, th- this podcast is about, you know, the things that we do and could do differently um, in an independent Scotland. But I think it, it's important for us to, to challenge some things first off. What, what would you say we're not doing uh, at the moment because we're part of the UK? 
All sorts of things. Uh, so if I was to start in, in, in the field of asylum and immigration, obviously the biggest change that we've seen has been the loss of, of free movement rights. Uh, you know, just now we could have been welcoming all the, the, the workers that we need to, to see us through the, the rest of this, this crisis, but uh, there have been formidable obstacles uh, put in the way of that and the workers that we need to uh, to dig ourselves out of the, the economic challenges that lie ahead as well. And of course, it infringes on our rights to and, and, and the people of our country to, to go and travel and live and work and, and ha- have a family in, in other parts of Europe as well. Um, the rest of the immigration system, similarly, we can't design uh, or tailor for our own needs. And it's safe to say that it isn't been tailored for our own needs. It's, again, you know, becoming incredibly bureaucratic for small and medium-sized enterprises in particular. We can't resist the, the horrible asylum proposals that the government is bringing forward. And then across you know, the whole home affairs field, there's all sorts of other issues that we could touch upon. Uh, you know, We've lost out on really important uh, European justice uh, and police cooperation measures, um, databases, access to criminal records that our police used to use day in, day out. But I think it's barely resonated yet. Um, We've lost all that, and our police, um, you know, face new challenges as a result. Do you think the fact that we've been going through the pandemic and we've been in lockdown has perhaps disguised some of the effects because people haven't been travelling, they haven't been moving? Do you think that's had a an impact on the people's uh, realisation of what's what's been going on? Absolutely, uh, I think right across the field of Brexit, that is what has happened. Whether it's trade in the economy. Uh, some of the effects of Brexit have been masked by what's happened with the pandemic, but it's certainly true in terms of the migration. It'll only be when folks start wanting to travel abroad or emigrate abroad or um, to, to recruit from abroad that they realise, my goodness me, uh, Brexit has made things a hell of a lot more difficult and uh, people might wake up to um, advantages of European Union membership that we previously took for granted Um and hopefully we can use that to, to open people's eyes to the benefits of Scotland becoming an independent country again and, and been able to, to take advantage of those benefits once more. I want, I want to hone in um, for a few minutes on the immigration issue because, you know, it, it's been a political hot potato across the UK, the whole of the UK for, uh, you know, a number of years. And what does, in your view, what does immigration mean to Scotland? Immigration makes us... The country that we are today. I mean, obviously, in recent years, we've seen Syrian refugees arrive, various other refugees arrive. Over decades, we've had uh, lots of migration in recent years from the European Union, uh, further back from the Commonwealth. We've had uh, Italian Scots uh, established here. Um, We've had Irish immigration. So it makes us the country that we are today. And today, you know, Migrants make an absolutely massive contribution in terms of the work that they do, both in the private sector and in public services, and just in a cultural sense. You know, they make us a country what they are, what we are. Um, they just have new ideas, new ways of doing things, and you know, absolutely, the, the, the contribution that they make to the country is, is positive in well, every sense. I know here in the Highlands, we, we've seen a lot, lot of uh, positive impact from some of the, particularly the EU nationals that have uh, come since we joined the European Union, bringing their young families, because we've traditionally mm. suffered from, uh, you know, the, the, the migration as opposed to immigration, you know, people leaving. And uh, obviously that sets in train a, you know, a, a situation where you get an aging population. But of course, we've well 
welcome uh, people from all over um, the world into the Highlands, and they've all, you know, seem to have made a positive contribution. But we do hear uh, politicians elsewhere claiming that immigrants are a drain on costs and services. That's not really the case, is it? Uh, there's no evidence of that. In fact, the evidence is absolutely to the contrary. As, as you know, the Scottish Government have, have published uh, various research papers in, in recent years just showing the benefits that uh, migrants in Scotland bring, uh, including, you know, uh, the sort of bare numbers of the, the fact that they contribute billions extra in taxes than has to be spent in, in, in public services uh, on them. Uh, but they also contribute towards um, economic growth economic growth per head, GDP per head, uh, to productivity. And the UK government knows that itself because before implementing its new system and ending free movement, uh, asked its Migration Advisory Committee to, to do all sorts of really detailed research on this. And you know they, they confirmed what pretty much 99% of previous studies had confirmed. It, it is positive for a country to, to enjoy net in migration. And, and that financial figure was actually backed up by the Independent Office of the, um, the, the Budget Responsibility, who produced data from HMRC back in 2015 to show that EU nationals, uh, in particular, paid £15.5 billion more in tax than they cost in tax credits and child benefits. You know, So it kind of blows a hole in that, that uh, argument that, uh, that people coming here, particularly from the European Union, but I think this is also the case from elsewhere, because it tends to be younger people who work uh, more and contribute more in tax. And even if they are at lower paid jobs, they're often allowing others to to um, access more highly paid employment, which contributes more tax. It, it, it is a, a false argument, isn't it, to, to say that they're a drain? Yeah, absolutely. You've touched on a number of, of factors there. First of all, the, the age that migrants tend to arrive in the country. And you know the fact that they have made the decision to, to, to take that fairly significant step uh, says something about the, the, the people involved, you know, they are uh, making a big move. You've got to be a go-getter. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think that captures it pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so and the age that they move out obviously means you're not spending money on their education, though we hope that they go into have families and, and, and so on as well. Uh, so you've not spent on their education. They're a long way away from having to draw down on, on their pension. Uh, they t- tend to be young, fit, healthy. Uh, and, yeah, and, and as you say as well, the other point I think you made, which is a very good one, is people say, well, what about jobs um, but actually it's, it's about creating jobs because they can be that piece of the jigsaw which allows the rest of it to be completed if you don't have the person that can do a particular role um, then you just can't run certain businesses or do certain operations and of course the presence here um, you know earning a salary also means that they spend and, and uh, create demand as well and, and uh, yeah again all the evidence shows it's, it, it's positive for the economy it creates economic growth it creates uh, better GDP per head as well. I, I know my view, but do you think Scotland needs immigration? I think every country needs immigration in the sense if it wants to achieve all that it can to fulfil its potential, then uh, absolutely. Uh, just because of those things that we've spoken about there, no no one country can just say, well, we don't need migration because we can uh, educate and, and, and manage our own uh, population to uh, to the max, there are always things that happen, always roles that you need filled that, that your own population perhaps hasn't been uh, set up to do. Uh, and it's at the end particularly day, true. In the, gonna... It's particularly true in the likes of the NHS and the care sector, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, things change, things happen that are unforeseen, and 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 you, you need skills from abroad. But also, I mean, if if 
as a country, you want to just do the same things forever and ever without opening yourself up to new ideas and new ways of doing things, then by all means do it. But I don't think that's you maximising your potential. So that is what brings the sort of the benefits in terms of increased productivity and so on. It's because mm-hmm. you've got folk with new ideas, new skills, new ways of doing things that can, can really uh, add value to us. But Scotland as well, obviously, as you know, and you alluded to earlier as well, a certain demographic demographic challenges that we face as well. Um, if it wasn't for migration over the next you know, 15, 20 years, um, we're projected to have a stagnating population, perhaps even uh, going back into decline again, thanks to the end of, of free movement. Um, and we also have a population which is going to get significantly older. Now, that's not totally of sync with, with other European countries, but what is slightly unusual is that our working age population is is growing much less than, than other European uh, population. So you, the dependency ratio, the number of folk we have that are going to be able to support uh, that older generation financially and in terms of you know, public services, uh, you know, there's a danger it's not going to be big enough. It's a factor in the future civic health of the, the, the country, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Hey, uh, Absolutely. I've asked you, do we need uh, immigration? And, you know, we've talked about Brexit and some of the blockages now we have, particularly for EU nationals. What have we done in Scotland to get cooperation over our specific needs? Well, I think we've we've made the case uh, relentlessly. Um, you know, not just in terms of volume. Uh, you know, been outspoken at Westminster and uh, at Holyrood in terms of what we think we need. But we've gone out of the way and pushed the boat out to to show uh, that it can be done and to provide a, a template as to to what needs to be done to make it happen. Um, as I said earlier, the Scottish government not only are the papers it has produced given us the facts and figures that we need to to make the case for migration. But it has also shown how other countries um, have uh, systems that allow different parts of one state to, to, to control migration for itself. And at Westminster, we had a, a, a very reputable international uh, firm of lawyers with expertise in, in migration look at what other countries do and, and show how um, we, can, we, we, we could have control of immigration in Scotland and, and, and how it would work even with a, a, either independent or within the United Kingdom. Yeah, because it's, uh, it's, it's, it's often said that the Scottish government just stood and put their face against uh, Brexit and said, no, we won't have any of that. But actually it was an attempt to compromise and to get some of these issues mm. uh, dealt with, wasn't it? Yeah, the, uh, Certainly, and it's, I'm, I'm sure it was something that we, we pushed um, you know, during the, the cross-party discussions around the time of the, the last referendum as well and, and, and following it too. Um, and I know that the you know, ministers for, for immigration in Edinburgh have repeatedly made the case to Home Office, Home Office ministers in, in face-to-face meetings yeah. as well for this to be done. Um, but you know, I think the problem we have now is that it's almost impossible to get to meet Home Office Ministers. Well, they pretty much do not speak yeah, to Edinburgh anymore. It's been a long-term problem because even when you know, the Scottish Government produced the document that Scotland's place in Europe, I don't think anybody in Westminster actually read it, <laughs> let alone uh, yeah. responded yeah. to it. Yeah, indeed. And I think, actually, when they, they, they published the, the most recent uh, Scottish Government immigration paper, uh, the, the press release from the Home Office had been issued you know, by midday before it was conceivably... Mm-hmm. Physically yeah. possible to read the damn thing. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's just it's not the respect agenda that um, you would be expecting. Uh, and we need these uh, these issues to be taken seriously in order to make sure we can move forward uh, as a country. It, should we just um, allow anybody to to live here? What what are the the challenges that we need to accept? Um, you know, I dare say in many many years from now, 
people may be having that sort of debate, but we're not at, at that stage at the moment. You have to have, uh, I think, to make your migration system sustainable, you have to have criteria uh, that are fair, that treat folk with respect, but also ensure that uh, you have public confidence in the, the migration system you propose. Um, so in the meantime, what that means for us, I think uh, free movement of people from the European Union worked well. Um, it was sustainable. Uh, and on top of that, then you have a migration system for countries further afield uh, that, as I say, suit your country, that ensure that the people coming here are going to be able to, to, to contribute. Uh, but equally, it isn't unfair, doesn't work through a hostile environment. Indeed. It doesn't depend so, on some of the grim policies that we've seen elsewhere so what, in the what, UK. what you're underlining there is by talking about contribute is that if people want to come to Scotland to make a contribution to a society, then uh, as yeah. a general rule, we should be open to that. Um, but th- there are um, there are challenges that uh, come that uh, that you just can't prepare for. You know, sometimes people are fleeing conflict. They're uh, refugees. I want to play a little clip um, also from your speech about the issue of refugee, refugees. First, the bill that will trash the Refugee Convention. What a contrast with the cross-party legislation that saw refugees voting in the Scottish Parliament elections little over a week ago. The Home Secretary seems determined to ride a coach and horses through long-established principles of international refugee law that have stood the test of time. She wants to raise the standard of proof required of asylum seekers above that set in the Convention despite the incredible challenges of evidencing persecution in a country the asylum seeker has had to flee. It, it is a real challenge for some people that are fleeing emergency situations. We all see it in the news, and you're, you're saying to you, I'm sure any reasonable person says to themselves, I wouldn't want to be there. But some people just can't be there, can they? Yeah, and this is the other side of the coin. So you have uh, your migration system uh, for, for people who are making choices about um, where they want to, to live and then you've got your asylum system which is designed uh, to support those who have little choice but to, to flee from, from persecution uh, and what I was alluding to last night in, in that speech was a dreadful proposals really it's hard to overemphasize how bad they are I mean even you know, Theresa May the dark days of her hostile environment and, and various other policies didn't go as far as this but implementing a two-tier system which punishes people essentially for how they arrive in, in, in the UK and tries to keep them out of the asylum system and makes their life hell in an attempt to disincentivise other people from making a claim for asylum. And then, of course, you get uh, incidents like we saw recently in Glasgow in Kenmuir Street. Again, this is from your speech. On Thursday, it was the Home Office that was endangering the citizens of Glasgow with its stubborn, totally disproportionate and utterly intransigent attempt to don raids two neighbours from Kenmuir Street despite it being absolutely apparent that they were never going to be able to affect that, thanks to determined and peaceful community resistance. The timing, location and secrecy around the raid were at best staggeringly insensitive and at worst deliberately provocative. It was a striking but far from isolated example of the Home Office at its aggressive worst, light years away from the reformed institution we have repeatedly been promised since Windrush. And that is incredible, isn't it? You know, we've had these big... Uh, high-profile scandals like Windrush, where people that were invited here um, were, you know, deported. But we've also got this situation where they're looking to put folk into detention um, and uh, do, still doing these archaic, um, horrible practices like dawn raids. Absolutely. The, I mean, the Windrush scandal and all the reviews of it that happened afterwards have... have shown a department that really is 
pretty rotten at the core and, and needs a hugely fundamental change in approach to how it does things. And we've had announcements that that's what's going to happen, and yet nothing changes, nothing changes at all. Um, detention, in fairness, numbers in detention have been going down, uh, but it's still a long way from seeing detention as absolute last resort stuff. Uh, and as we saw in, in Kenmuir Street and in other instances recently, Don raids, which we thought were becoming a bit of something from the past, they seem to be back again. It seems to be uh, a, a tool of choice for the Home Office rather than, again, being something that you'd only use in truly exceptional circumstances where public safety required it, for example. And in Scotland, public and majority political opinion is that these practices shouldn't be happening. No, indeed. Absolutely. Um, There are different ways you can do this. Yeah, you have to to, uh, enforce your your migration rules to to make it sustainable. Um, But there are different ways you can do that. And the the Home Office just jumps straight to enforcement, to dawn raids, to to detention without making any attempt to to do things differently in a more uh, humane manner. And also, the whole system is designed so that there are far too many people who are in the position of, of being without status in, in, in this country, and that's because the Home Office makes it impossible for people to extend visas, to meet fees, to meet uh, the legal tests that they have to. Um, so the whole system really needs redesigned from, from uh, start to finish, it is the right mess. And, and we're now seeing you know, some pretty horrific practices actually being visited on EU nationals coming here. You know, There's some report in The Guardian about uh, people being handcuffed and denied their medicine and so forth, but for, for refugees that uh, that have come here for asylum seekers, there's been also some pretty uh, challenging, if I'm being polite, practices used by the UK government. One of them is about you know putting them into dormitories. This is another clip from your speech. Now, surely the Home Secretary would have thought twice about that, given the shocking outcome of our deliberate decision to cram people into dormitory accommodation at the height of a pandemic and totally against the public health advice she was offered. She put people at risk and hundreds fell ill. But far from being apologetic, she appears to be doubling down. The Home Secretary talks about clamping down on people smugglers, but the proposals have nothing to do with people smugglers. This is clamping down on refugees themselves, punishing victims of persecution because of how they arrived in the UK, making an example of them, making them miserable, ruining their life chances in an attempt to discourage others to fall. It won't work. It will put the system under greater strain, and it is utterly immoral. I think, again, anybody looking at the conditions that people are being held in, anybody hearing the stories that people have to endure, that would be pretty revolted, wouldn't they? Yeah, I think uh, this is a story that hasn't yet had the attention it it deserves. Basically, at the height of the pandemic, um, somebody at the Home Office, presumably the Home Secretary or other ministers, made a conscious decision that rather than... um, support asylum seekers either in uh, the community or in hotel accommodation which was made uh, had had to happen because of the pandemic and the fact that you weren't moving folks through the asylum system they made a conscious choice rather than to continue using hotels to shove them into dormitories in uh, disused military barracks now me you and everyone listening to this and their dog will know that at the height of the pandemic you do not put people in dormitories like that and that's what public health england uh, told them as far as we are led to believe um, but the Home Secretary or somebody else at the Home Office decided to ignore that, they made a conscious decision to put people in these dormitories and, and disused barracks and lo and behold 
hundreds of people became ill with coronavirus. And it's, you know, fortunate that nobody, as I understand it, has died or was seriously ill as a result. But it's only uh, good fortune. So that was a political decision. And there should be political consequences for, for what happened. Well, we, we, neither of us know what the makeup of a post-independent Scotland government would be, but it's hard to imagine these kinds of practices ever being continued in an independent Scotland. Yeah, I, I think that's true. And, and to be fair to their parties, um, you know, one of the huge positives and one of the reasons why we, I think we've had um, healthy debate and discussion about migration is because there haven't, haven't been any of the political parties, major political parties, or certainly the parties at Hollywood, trying to make it into a political football and, and indulgent and dog whistle politics. They all have recognised the importance of migration for, uh, for Scotland's economy and Scotland's society uh, and have, uh, to varying, various extents, um, you know, begin to, to talk it up and, and to uh, try and argue for policies that will, will help rather than hinder that. But unfortunately, um, they're not the ones that control it. Well, on that note, I think we'll leave it there, Stuart. Can I thank you very much once again for joining me today and obviously wish you well in your role in taking these issues forward. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you, Drew. Well, as you've heard, there's a very different approach needed for Scotland over immigration and the people who have made their home here and contributed to our communities. With the powers to do so, we could set out a very different and more progressive approach, leading to a healthier future for our country. My thanks again to Stuart C. MacDonald. You can find out more about his work at stuartmcdonaldmp.co.uk. If you can share this podcast, it can help others with their decision on Scotland's future. Thanks for listening. Don't forget you can find new and previous episodes of Scotland's Choice at scotlandschoice.scot. I'm Drew Hendry, and I hope you'll join me next time on Scotland's Choice. Mm-hmm.